going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And big thank you to Deanne for recommending today's case. This story is absolutely nuts. So don't miss a single detail because it is shocking and disheartening from start to finish. Yeah, your guys' minds are going to be blown. This is such a heartbreaking and insane story. So listen up. We've got a lot of details for you guys today. So again, thank you guys for tuning in. This is episode 379 of Going West. So let's get into it. got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests, and there are a ton of episodes that you're going to find interesting. Jordan is super charismatic and well-voiced, so I loved listening to his recent episode with Susan Casey called Unraveling Mysteries in the Ocean's Darkest Depths. It was so creepy and interesting, and he goes across every category with other episodes like Romance Twister, My Mister Once Dated My Sister, or his monthly Skeptical Sunday episodes about controversial topics from crystal healing to cannabis to Ouija boards. There is something for everyone. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. In 1999, a Missouri teenager's stepfather disappeared. And four years later, in February of 2003, she informed her uncle that her mother had murdered her stepfather and burned his body. Then she disappeared herself. So what happened during both of these very suspicious disappearances? And is her mother really behind them? This is the story of Lena Chapin, and it's also the story of Gary McCullough. Lena 
Mae Chapin was born on August 29, 1985 to Sandy and Robert Chapin. She was Sandy's second daughter, joining older half-sister Brandy, whom Sandy shared with a former partner. Sandy left Robert shortly after Lena was born and eventually added four more children to her bunch, Robin, Jeannie, Rachel, and Rosie, so all girls. But the girls moved around a lot growing up and described their childhood as pretty tumultuous. But Brandy, who is Sandy's oldest daughter, also remembers a lot of love amidst their hardships. Now, even though the family always had little money, the girls remember their mom always looking after them and making sure they had enough to eat. They never saw their mom doing drugs or drinking or being a negative influence when they were younger. She just had a lot of love to give and show them, which makes what's to come just absolutely baffling. But as time went on, things began to change. In addition to their mom struggling with money, Brandy recalls that she prioritized her affairs with men over everything else in her life, deriving the most validation and satisfaction out of who she could get to date her, marry her, or even better in her eyes, cheat on their wife for her. Brandy recalls that her mom rarely spent more than two years with any boyfriend or husband, including any of the girl's fathers. In the chaos that was their childhood, the sisters remember fondly that Lena was always the one in charge, adding that she could be stubborn and ornery, but she knew her place in the family and she served it with pride. Brandy remembered fondly, quote, I don't think I've met anyone else like Lena. She was smart, she was funny, she was outrageous. She could be very sarcastic and blunt and didn't care one bit what other people thought of her. She was the rebel. She was the one who pushed it. She'd smear tomatoes on the glass door when we were supposed to be watching cartoons. But her sisters also recall a rarer, softer side of Lena, that she was creative and kind. She loved to scrapbook, and she spent as much time as possible nurturing her younger sisters, desiring to be a role model figure for them. Though Brandy was the oldest, Lena cast herself in the role of the dominant sibling. Her younger sister, Jeannie, added, quote, Lena was a protector of everyone she loved, especially her sisters. Lena really was the glue that held us together. When all six of us plus a stepsister had to share a bedroom, she would crawl across the three bunk beds that were lined up in the bedroom and read to me. I'm so glad God gave her to us as a sister. She would walk to my basketball games when we lived in St. Louis. She was the one who was in the bleachers when no one else was. Though Lena was stubborn and a spitfire, she wanted a traditional home life more than anything. Her friend and neighbor growing up remembered that she loved to drive around town and admire the ruins of old homes, dreaming about how she would fix them up to house her own family one day. Now, although the six sisters had each other and their mom to rely on, their non-traditional family structure took a toll on all of them. They were constantly moving around, saying goodbye to their last father figure, and ushering in the next one, sometimes even in a new town or state. So the instability was really difficult for the girls to become accustomed to. Then Sandy really threw the family for a loop when she married a guy and divorced him for his brother. In 1992, Sandy married Albert McCullough, who was a farmer from Missouri. The girls had fond memories of their time with Albert, calling him a kind and gentle stepfather. Albert himself said, quote, 
I loved those girls like they were my own. But after a few years of marriage, their relationship cooled, and Sandy seemed to seek something different. And Albert started to notice Sandy behaving very strangely, as if she was kind of sneaking around. He recalls asking the girls directly if their mom was having an affair, and that Lena herself actually covered for her mom Sandy. He said, quote, Growing up, Lena was always loyal to Sandy, and Sandy rewarded her for that. She'd always be the first one chosen to go to the store and things like that. Lena was also always the one who kept her secrets for her. When I asked those girls if it was true that Sandy and my brother were fooling around together, it was Lena that was doing all the talking, trying to make up excuses for her. Now, it turned out that Albert's instinct was actually correct, because in 1996, Sandy left Albert for his brother Gary. When Albert discovered that his own brother was the one embroiled in the affair, the two got into a physical altercation. But despite Albert's disbelief at the situation, Gary made up his mind. At the time, Albert was angry, but he softened as the years passed and now remembers with guilt, quote, I brought her here. Albert even told his brother that marrying Sandy was the worst thing that he had ever done for himself, telling Gary, quote, you're making a hell of a mistake. But Gary was infatuated and seemed to know what he wanted, and that was Sandy. So he bought them some farmland near Butterfield in Barry County in the southwest corner of the state. As he got the farm up and running, he worked at a chicken processing plant to keep the family afloat, and the two were married in December of 1996, which for reference is when Lena was 11 years old. Though Gary was stricter than Albert, he was a steady figure in the girls' lives. He had two young daughters of his own and expected all of them to help out on the farm, doling out chores and assignments for them to complete. But although he was firm, he cared about the girls and took his job as their stepfather seriously. However, things would take a terrifying turn. On May 13th, 1999, so just over two and a half years into Gary and Sandy's marriage, police discovered that Gary was missing from his residence, having left everything and everyone, including his daughters, behind. Police had actually stopped by the McCullough farm for unrelated reasons because some of their cattle had gotten loose. According to the Barry County Sheriff, Mick Epperly, they arrived at the farm to discuss the missing cows, and Sandy approached them saying, quote, well, I guess while you're here, I should go ahead and report Gary missing. Jesus Christ, that's just like the most heartless uh, thing you could possibly say in that moment. Yeah, like might as well. So according to Sandy, her husband Gary had already been missing for two days. And why she waited to make the report, she couldn't explain. Sandy claimed that Gary had left the farm two days prior on May 11th, 1999, heading to nearby Diamond, Missouri, which is a town about 45 minutes northwest of their farm in Butterfield. She claimed that he was purchasing a fighting rooster from a Mexican man who lived there, but that he had never returned. Sheriff Epperly claims that they were critical of the story from the onset. And what made the story the most unbelievable is the fact that Sandy had already moved a new man into the house, mere days after Gary apparently failed to return home. Mick Epperly claimed, quote, He was there, living with them, while we were working the case. He moved right in. That's another flag. If Gary wasn't coming back, 
he wouldn't have been there because he would have known that he was getting his butt kicked. So that's another indication that we have a homicide on our hands. So here's the thing. Sandy, who was 32 at the time, met a 22-year-old man by the name of Chris Klemp and reportedly became infatuated with him. Just four days after Gary disappeared, Chris moved onto the farm. So it seemed, you know, eerily convenient timing that the early phase of their relationship came on the heels of her current husband's disappearance. I'll say. Yeah. So she had a lot of motive to get rid of her husband because obviously, you know, he had purchased the farm for them and was apparently struggling to keep it afloat. Now, in the weeks leading up to his disappearance, Gary had written a series of bad checks and their finances were extremely fragile. And even her daughters seemed to be aware of what was going on. Brandy reported, quote, I was only 13 years old at the time, but even then, I knew what Chris was to my mom. I remember mom coming home from work one day saying that she had met the cutest guy. She was nervous about him finding out that she had six kids. So the first time I met Chris, my mom made me act like I was one of her coworkers and not one of her daughters. Yeah, here's my 13-year-old coworker. What? What the fuck, yo? So as she had done with every suitor who came before him, Sandy did what she could to capture and maintain Chris's attention. Brandy continued, quote, Mom would lie to Chris. She told him that she was pregnant with his baby and that Gary was beating her, neither of which was true. You have to understand that she's a manipulator. Mom is really good at getting what she wants from men. It was never about money. It was always about the challenge of getting her man, even if they were married, and she always got her way. But once he was hers, she'd get something on the side and move on to the next challenge. Gary's mom, Ella, last saw him on Mother's Day, May 9th, 1999, when he came over to pick up a male hog to breed with his female hogs. Ella remembers him telling her that he had been fearful of Sandy, even saying that he was scared for his life. So his mom, Ella, begged him to stay and move back in with her, but Gary felt that he had an obligation to the farm. Ella said, quote, I think he only went home because his cows and dogs. He was scared of what she might do to them. Though her husband was missing, Sandy refused to cooperate with authorities, never offering any more information than what she told them on the day that she was coerced into filing a missing persons report. And then, five days after Gary was last seen, his truck was recovered from a remote farm road in northern Barrie County. When Sandy was brought in for questioning about her possible involvement in the curious disappearance, police asked if she would be willing to submit to a polygraph examination. And Sandy told police that she would only take a polygraph if they found a body. Police also attempted to talk to the children, but it seemed as if Sandy had already gotten to them and forbade them from doing so. Lena, then just 13 years old, adopted her mom's attitude toward the police, which was a bit angry and hostile, and refused to give them any information, which made sense. You know, she and the others wanted to protect their mom, thinking that they had to. This is their mom they're talking about. And this was unfortunately not a new occurrence for the sisters, because Brandy remembers that they were constantly lying and covering up for her, whether it was for her cheating endeavors or now what seemed like a much more serious offense. Though Sandy was apparently puzzled by Gary's disappearance, yet not trying to help with it, 
Gary's siblings, parents, and daughters were on the front lines of the search and stayed after local authorities who even organized dive teams and dives of local bodies of water. In the weeks following Gary's disappearance, the Barry County Sheriff's Office announced to local media outlets that they believe Gary to be dead and that they believe strongly that foul play was involved. Even more alarmingly, Sandy and Chris were charged with fraud in the aftermath of Gary's disappearance, having stolen cows from Gary's herd to sell for profit. However, shortly before his disappearance, Gary had leveraged these cows to obtain a loan for his farm property, so they were technically owned by the bank. Thus, Sandy was charged with defrauding the bank, and Chris was actually detained on murder charges. He was arraigned on June 7th, but without any evidence, aside from the obvious overlap in their relationship, Chris was released, and the fraud charges against Sandy were also eventually dropped. But police suspected something very sinister in this case, and they didn't explain why they suspected this at the time, but sorry, this is a really disturbing, gross detail, but the charges allege that both Sandy and Chris had fed pieces of Gary's body to the animals on the farm after killing him. So that is what police believed happened, and yet the charges had to be dropped and they had no actual evidence against them, but they thoroughly believed that they were responsible for such actions. And then on April 11th, 2000, so 11 months after Gary went missing, Sandy was granted dissolution of her marriage to Gary after he obviously declined to show up to their divorce hearing. And Sandy and Chris just kind of carried on as normal, but obviously they were desperate to escape the rumor mill that they faced in Barry County. So Sandy and her boyfriend Chris moved themselves and the girls to a farm in rural Dent County, which is a whole three and a half hours away from their farm in Butterfield near Sligo, Missouri, which is a mostly abandoned former factory town. The couple were married, and on March 1st, 2005, Gary McCullough was officially declared dead. But of course, they still didn't have his body or any concrete evidence as to what exactly happened to him, but police were still heavily suspecting Sandy. Now, though Sandy and Chris seemed to move on from the events of May 1999 as if nothing had happened, Lena descended into the throes of emotional turmoil, often seeming sullen and angry. All the changes in the family really took a toll on her, and now a teenager, she began to rebel. According to friends, she would leave the house for lengthy periods of time, staying with friends or extended family, and sometimes even leaving the state. Lena's childhood friend Joshua remembered, quote, there was some pretty crazy stuff in that family. I heard Lena's mom, Sandy, was making it pretty hard on her. I know Lena bounced around quite a bit. One day she'd be here and the next she'd be gone and you wouldn't see her for months. Each time she'd go back home, I know there would be bad blood between her and her mom. This is also around the same time that Lena began experimenting with drugs and drinking, using it as a coping mechanism for the commotion that was happening at home. Joshua remembered, quote, Lena was a good person, but she was a wild girl. Lena wanted to be a country girl. She really liked going to the river and partying as much as she could. What girl didn't at that age around here? 
We all had our moments, but Lena was parting a little too much. Lena's boyfriend at the time echoed, quote, I remember Lena being a lot of fun to be around. She was a wild one. It was always a party, party, party with that girl, but she just took it too far. She was the kind of person who would show up someplace and be in the spotlight, but then disappear just as quick. But this behavior was no accident because in 2003, four years after Gary's disappearance, Lena confided in a boyfriend that she was keeping a terrible secret on behalf of her mom for the sake of her family, but that it was completely eating her up inside and causing all of this chaotic behavior in her personal life. She claimed that she knew what had happened to her former stepfather, Gary, and it was exactly as law enforcement suspected. Sandy had murdered him and then forced 13-year-old Lena to help her dispose of the body. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. 
For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back, just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash going west. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. On June 26, 2003, 17-year-old Lena decided to meet with her former stepfather-turned-uncle, Albert McCullough, remember Gary's brother, to report what she knew. That her mother Sandy had killed Gary back in 1999, so four years earlier, in order to marry Chris Klemp, and then force Lena to help her cover it up. After the two chatted for a while, Albert gently broached the topic of his missing brother. According to Lena, on the day of Gary's death, he had been sitting on the couch eating scrambled eggs, and Sandy walked into the room calmly and shot him two or three times directly in the head. Lena recalled seeing her mom wrap Gary in plastic, throw him in the bed of her truck, and drive away with his body. Though the other girls hadn't been home at the time of his death, Brandy recalls coming home to find Sandy furiously scrubbing a dark substance off of the tile floor one afternoon as she and her sisters arrived home from school. That same night, Jeannie recalls her mom instructing Lena to cover for her and keep all six girls in their bedroom. Lena even slept in front of their bedroom door to ensure that everybody did as they were told. Jeannie later reported seeing what she thought was Sandy dragging a large, heavy object out of the house. As Lena relayed these details, Albert remembers that she was trembling and seemed terrified and that he believed every word that she said. When Albert asked what they had done with the body, 
She claimed that Sandy had burned her late husband's body on a pile of brush on the farm and scattered his remains, including, yes, feeding parts of him to their farm animals. In addition to covering for her with her sisters, Sandy had forced Lena to help clean up the crime scene. And again, Lena was just 13 years old at the time. Lena had also tearfully confided in Brandy about what had happened to their late stepfather, but the girls didn't know what to do with that information. Brandy recalls a time that she threatened to tell on her mom and that Lena was furious with her for putting herself at risk in that way. For the Salem newspaper, Brandy remembered, quote, After she told me, she made me pinky swear to never tell anyone. A couple days later, I was trying to get a ride from my mom and Chris when they were going to St. Louis, but my mom kept saying no. I got really mad, so I said, you're going to take me or I'm going to tell the police what you did to Gary. Lena heard that from the other room and came in with a red face and shoved me into the mirror. I'd never seen her so mad. In this altercation, Brandy cut her finger on the mirror and had to be taken to the hospital for stitches. So seeing their story begin to unravel, Chris threatened Brandy with a gun. Brandy explained, quote, I got in the bed of the truck and Chris and mom started driving me to the hospital. We left in the truck to go, but all of a sudden, we don't take a right into Salem, but went left down Highway TT and down a gravel road. I started pounding on the back glass saying, we're going the wrong way. We stop and the dome light goes off and Chris gets out of the driver's seat and gets a double barrel shotgun from behind the seat. So I jumped over the opposite side of the bed and we started playing cat and mouse around the truck and I'm screaming for my life. Then the radio starts blaring. It's up so loud, it's vibrating the windows. I didn't know if I should run. I didn't know the area and I didn't want to give Chris a clear shot. So then all of a sudden, I think if my mom's door was unlocked and I went for it. And sure enough, I got in and I grabbed onto her tight. I said, mom, please don't let him kill me. I won't tell anyone, please. She just stared straight ahead. Finally, she said, don't hurt my baby. And don't worry, we're just trying to scare you. It's so sad because I can't even imagine these kids in this situation. They're the worst humans on this planet. Sandy is just straight up a huge piece of shit. And obviously so is Chris, but she's basically letting her younger husband, who, you know, she hasn't been with that long, threaten her daughter with a shotgun because she favors him over everyone else. Yeah, to put her child in danger like that is so terrifying and the fact that she's like, oh, we're just trying to scare you. Like this whole situation is so beyond messed up. Yeah, seriously, it's unbelievable. And things are gonna get even crazier. So when they arrive back home, Sandy forced Chris to apologize to Brandy. Oh, how nice of her, right? And the three shared a group hug. As if a group hug is gonna, you know, settle this whole situation of getting a gun pointed at you. Truly insane. So Brandy said, quote, she grabbed us and said, we're okay now, right? So that time Sandy intervened, but Lena was not so lucky. After that night, Brandy began staying elsewhere, obviously too scared to go back to Sandy and Chris's house. But four years later, 17-year-old Lena found herself wrapped with guilt and came to Albert in a desperate plea for help. Albert recalls, quote, 
I asked her straight out, Lena, I want to know who killed my brother. Her answer was one word, mom. Now, unbeknownst to Lena, Albert recorded their conversation about all of this and submitted it to the police. And in that recording, Lena recounts coming home from school on that fateful day and that after sending her sisters away, Sandy had brought Lena into her bedroom alone where Gary's body lay sprawled on the floor. Lena says in the recording, quote, She was crying and all she wanted to say was, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. And that's all she'd say the whole time when she was freaking out and telling me she was bawling and saying, I can't believe this happened. And I asked her, I'm like, I want to see. I I didn't believe it. You know, when you think to yourself, okay, there's a dead person in your house. You know, you're not thinking, okay, come on now, whatever. It's just like, I want to see. She wouldn't let me see. She had her door locked. I said, I want to see. I want to see it right now. I know if I had seen the whole thing, I would have flipped out. I would have flipped out. But there was a crack in the door and I looked and I saw it and I completely went crazy. I started spazzing out on her and I went, what the hell happened? What happened? You know? Over the course of the next two days, she helped Sandy scrub the tile floors with bleach to rid them of blood while her sisters were at school. Lena's school attendance records confirm that she was not present on either May 12th or May 13th of 1999. It's just crazy that her mom kept her out of school to help her clean up a murder that she committed. So wild. So when Albert asked about the whereabouts of the body, Lena said, quote, If you want something of Gary's to stick in the ground, there's nothing left. He was burned, completely burned in everything. Everything that was, you know, left at the burn pile was put in buckets and spread all over, so I don't remember where they're at. I was there. I'm the only one that knows. I'm the only one that knows exactly what happened, but there's just nothing left. There's nothing left. I burned my fingers. I burned a few of my fingers picking up ashes and bones. She then explained why she participated and said that the guilt had consumed her since that day, telling Albert, quote, The whole thing could make me sound like a bad person, but what was I supposed to do? Lena was recorded as saying, quote, I would have never done it, but then I was thinking, you know, I got these sisters, and if I'm going to get caught, I better help mom with it. Now, I wouldn't want anything bad to happen to my mom because she's got those kids, and she takes very good care of them. But I do have a little bit against her because she doesn't... I don't have a mom anymore, you know? At nighttime, it costs me sleep. I just wasn't myself after that. I had trouble eating. I had trouble going to my room to sleep. They didn't know why. I sat there thinking to myself, God, if they only knew. I think I'm already going crazy. I think I've already gone crazy over this. It just drove me insane. Albert comforted Lena by telling her, quote, you was a kid. So Lena thanked him for being a good and steady influence on her and her sisters and said that he and his family deserve the answers and closure that they sought. Albert handed the recording of this conversation over to police immediately, and police contacted Sandy, hoping to speak with her once again. Within 24 hours, Sandy obtained a lawyer. Brandy remembers sadly, quote, Lena and I would both joke about it with one another, saying, you better watch out or mom will get you. But she would say mom wouldn't do that to me. She'd never touch me. Up to that point, mom had always been all about us kids and keeping us together. I never thought she would be capable of actually killing one of us. But then, 
Lena went missing. Just five months after Lena confessed what she knew to Albert in their recorded conversation, she gave birth to a baby boy. Racked with guilt and shame, Lena had dropped out of high school and become pregnant from her boyfriend. But with this news, she vowed to turn things around, which may have been the catalyst for telling Albert in the first place. On November 3, 2003, she gave birth to a baby boy named Coulter and planned to focus on giving her son the stability that she was not afforded as a child. She began working at Country Mart, which is a local supermarket, and put her creativity to good use decorating cakes. Her friend and coworker Nikki said, quote, Lena was fun and full of life. We worked together in the deli. She decorated the cakes in the bakery and just loved what she did. Lena was a beautiful girl who had everything going for her. 20-year-old Lena moved in with her new boyfriend, James Bryant, who eventually became her fiancé, and the three of them formed the little family that Lena had ached for her entire life. Nikki added fondly, quote, Lena loved that boy more than anything. She had her share of troubles, but Lena was a good mother, and she was working to overcome her problems for Coulter. She wanted to be the best person she could be for him. Then, on Valentine's Day, Tuesday, February 14th, 2006, James, again Lena's fiancé, arrived home to find Sandy cleaning out their apartment. Sandy stated simply that Lena had met a new guy and had become infatuated with him. She claimed Lena had spontaneously moved down to Florida with him, leaving James and Coulter behind, as well as her job, her apartment, her family, and basically all of her belongings. Sandy was hastily packing up her belongings, and both James and Lena's sisters noticed that Lena didn't appear to have brought a single item of clothing or possession with her on this supposed move. And James never saw or heard from Lena ever again. Devastated, Brandy said, quote, I knew my mom had done it again. I knew she had done something. Not buying their mom's story, Lena's sisters did what they could to spread the word about Lena's disappearance, posting missing flyers all over Dent County in hopes that someone could point them in the right direction, since Sandy didn't seem to be willing to help. But the crazy and really fucked up thing about this is that Robin later discovered that Sandy was paying her youngest daughter $5 for every missing flyer that she took down. So she confronted Sandy about it, telling her that she knew Sandy was involved and that she would stop at nothing to find out what really happened to her sister. And thus, the girls distanced themselves from their mother, Sandy. And ultimately, Lena's father, Robert, reported her missing from where he lived in Alabama, but little was done about their suspicions that Sandy had concocted the story about this boyfriend in Florida in order to cover up her misdeeds. It's so sad too, because without any actual evidence, because Lena is an adult, this story could, in theory, make sense. She could have done that, absolutely. Right, right. So if her own mom is saying this, and there's no proof that her mom, uh, you know, had anything to do with Gary's disappearance in the past, then in the eye of the law, her mom didn't do anything wrong. She's just saying, oh yeah, I'm just picking up after her. She told me that she was going here, and she, you know, left on her own accord. And it's, that's what's so frustrating about this story is that even her whole family is like, what? She would never do that. Yeah, it's just, it's completely pure evil. It's pure evil here. So because of Sandy's unwillingness, of course, to help, 
and staunch retelling of her version of events, a case file wasn't opened on Lena's disappearance until March of 2012, which was over six years after she was last seen. So awful. And sadly, Sandy maintained custody over Coulter. Basically, with Coulter's biological dad out of the picture, Sandy was Coulter's rightful guardian, and Lena's sisters had to look on as she took Coulter into her care as if basically he was her own. Locals remember that she even made him call her mom. Like, are you kidding me? Her daughters recall that she had it in her mind that she was Coulter's real mom, not Lena, which was obviously completely false. She even filed abandonment charges against Lena, which earned her full custody of Coulter when Lena, of course, did not show up for the trial. So Lena's loved ones were forced to look on as Sandy took over the life of yet another person that she claimed that she loved. Sandy divorced Chris Klemp in 2014, which was probably her longest relationship ever, and remarried Joseph Wink, and then she became Sandy Wink. Her last known location was reportedly Mount Vernon, Missouri, where she was believed to live with both Joseph and Coulter. Coulter is now 20 years old, but the family was cut off from him years ago and didn't get to be a part of his upbringing. Lena's sisters, Brandy and Robin, believe that Gary's remains are scattered on the farm in Barry County and that Lena's are on the farm in Sligo, Missouri. The apartment that Lena lived in with Jason has since burned to the ground, which apparently happened due to a renter smoking in bed. But it is really weird to me that ha that, that happened in the unit that her mom was cleaning up, you know? Yeah, exactly. The daughter goes missing from this unit and then eventually that place burns down. It's, re it's really bizarre, isn't it? So I don't know. I And maybe it is just a weird coincidence, but... I don't know, super strange. So aside from the disappearances of Gary and Lena, the effects were even more far-reaching, as Albert also blamed Sandy for the deaths of his father and cousin. Now, not directly, because basically he explained, quote, I want something done about this, and I want it done soon. My mom is 79 years old, and she doesn't have much longer she can wait to get justice. This whole deal has broken my family. My dad died because of this. He had a heart attack and died after Gary went missing. My cousin Robert died too after he started popping pills after all this happened and got in a bad wreck. He and Gary were very close. Gary's father, Wayne McCullough, had been so zealous in his search efforts, in fact, that he had been barred from the local sheriff's office. Gary's daughter remarked, quote, I know this thing killed him. Frustrated at all the bureaucracy, rumors, and missteps in the case, Gary's brother Larry McCullough mused, quote, They're not going to find a body. This case is as good as it's ever going to get. In July of 2013, Gary's daughters, April and Joy, filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Sandy, Chris, Lena, and Chris's ex-wife, Jennifer. Jennifer allegedly knew of the affair between Chris who was her husband at the time, and Sandy. She had also given Chris a ride at some point in the days following Gary's disappearance and likely murder. So the court believed that Jennifer may have helped conceal information pertinent to Gary's death. Police sought to deliver a court summons to Lena to give her testimony, but of course, they were unable to locate her. So Lena's bombshell-taped confession to Albert was omitted. Brandy, however, was willing and able to testify against her mother. 
So in the end, Sandy and Chris were found to be responsible for Gary's murder and ordered to pay $7 million in damages to Gary's daughters, of which they have not been paid a single cent. Though this was a victory, it happened in civil court, meaning Sandy and Chris are able to live their lives freely, though it seems to be a foregone conclusion that they ended both Gary's and Lena's lives. Lena's sister Jeannie writes, quote, Lena would have wanted people to come together with love, the strongest force there is, and try to find her. Until we find her, she will be in my dreams, showing me different places that she could be and where I need to look. She wants to be found. Gary McCullough would now be 58 years old. He had brown eyes and brown hair. He stood at 6 feet 3 inches tall and weighed about 240 pounds. He was last seen wearing a t-shirt, blue jeans, brown work boots, and a camouflage cap. Lena was around 5 foot 9 inches tall and weighed about 130 pounds. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. She has one tattoo of mushrooms and the phrase, Love Daddy, on her lower back. She would be 38 years old today. If you have any information about the disappearance of Gary McCullough, please call the Barry County Sheriff's Department at 417-847-6556. And if you have any information about the disappearance of Lena Chapin, please contact the Dent County Sheriff's Department at 573 573- 729-3241. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. It just makes me sick that they are free and living their lives right now. And Heath, you put it so well earlier, like Sandy is just absolute evil. And this situation is so disturbing and disgusting. So please make sure that you share this story. I know you guys are just as frustrated as we are. And Lena deserves justice. And I know that Gary quote unquote got justice, but we still don't know exactly what happened. So I, in my opinion, don't think Gary did get justice and his family didn't either. I completely agree. And it honestly just boggles my mind that they haven't been able to find any evidence for either of these cases. But if you want to see photos from this episode of Lena and of Gary and the rest of the family, head on over to our socials. We're on uh, Instagram at Going West Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Going West Pod and we're on Facebook. Yes, we are. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you in a few days. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. Stranger.